Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to the Brian Danesburg podcast, Christian Living in a Complicated World. I'm your host, Brian Danesburg, lead pastor of Alliance Bible Church. Uh, I'm going to be doing something that I hope proves to be helpful, not just interesting, um, for February and March. The, the title of this is How to See the World. Uh, it's going to be two parts, one in February, one in March. I, I've done podcasts on critical theory or critical race theory. I've done podcasts on cancel culture and abortion, transgenderism, ancestral guilt, theological liberalism, politics. I've kicked numerous hornets' nests in this podcast. So what I want to do today and next month is provide you the basic framework I start with to evaluate these sorts of social, cultural, and moral issues. Uh, a framework that will help you evaluate ideas through the lens of a biblical worldview. It won't necessarily help you resolve these sorts of issues comprehensively, but at least you'll know how I start how I start in evaluating ideas. And uh, I hope this will serve you well in learning how to see the world through God's eyes. Worldviews, think of it this way, worldviews are like lenses. Uh, you see everything else through it, but just like you don't often notice the lenses themselves, you don't often notice the worldview. Worldviews are how you see the world. It, it involves unseen and sometimes unspoken beliefs about God, humanity, uh, yourself, the past, the present, the future. So it's incredibly important to think about worldview. The history of humanity is replete with worldviews. You have polytheistic worldviews that dominated the empires of Greece and Rome. The uh, Enlightenment generated a worldview deeply influential during the 17th and 18th century. Over the past 60 years, postmodernism has enjoyed the favor of many within our current cultural context. And each worldview offers its user a map, a map for life. But not all maps are created equal. In fact, in the smorgasbord of worldview maps to choose from, there's no shortage of bad ones. Today and next month, I want to provide you with what I believe is a reliable map, a basic biblical worldview. And I'm really hoping and praying that um, you do more work with these two podcasts in particular, maybe than, than any other. Uh, listen to it again, ponder it, brew a pot of coffee, sit in a comfy chair and, and meditate on this. So here it is. I want to give you the basic shape, the overarching shape of the Bible's storyline and the structure for a biblical worldview. And it's very simple. It can be summed up in four words, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Commit that to memory. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. This is where I start when evaluating ideas that come at us. Quick summary of these, they're pregnant with meaning, but quick summary, God's creation of all that exists. Okay. That's creation. You've got humanity's fall into sin, God's work of redemption through Jesus Christ and the restoration of all things that awaits us in the coming 
of Jesus Christ. This is a basic biblical worldview. Memorize those four four words, understand what they mean. So what I'm going to do today is cover the first two. I'm going to talk about creation and fall. What I'm going to do is not just fill out what each of those mean, but I'm going to give you examples of how to work those out into everyday life, into to, to other uh, uh, scenarios, uh, daily uh, situations. And then, uh, so this month I'm going to do creation and fall. Next month I'll do the second two, redemption and restoration. So here we go. The first aspect to a biblical worldview is creation. Genesis 1 and 2 provides the account of creation. You're familiar with the story. God speaks, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be this, and it was so. Let there be that, and it came to be. God speaks creation into existence, and throughout and after, God saw that it was good. Very good. The pinnacle of God's creation is something he forms in his own image and likeness, and that's mankind, male and female. How does this inform our worldview? So that's the, that's the basic idea of creation. So how does it inform our basic worldview? Let me, let me work through three applications of this part of our biblical worldview, of the creational aspect to our biblical worldview. It'll give you an idea of how to take some aspect of the biblical worldview and work it out in everyday life. Okay, so let me give you three aspects to creation, specifically creation. One is accountability to God. The very first words out of God's mouth to a human being are prefaced with this statement, and the Lord God commanded the man. (laughs) That is remarkable. You talk about foregoing pleasantries. There is no shaking of hands and exchanging names. The first out of the gate The first words of this God to a human being is, and the Lord God commanded the man. Commanded the man. The first words out of God's mouth to his creation is a command. You are mine. You are not free to call the shots. I call the shots. So perhaps the two most important questions we can ask ourselves as we interface with life in this big bad world are, What does God think about this? And what would God command me to think or do? Imagine going for a walk on some balmy summer evening. And as you turn a corner to head into an adjacent neighborhood, you spot something in the driveway of one of the residences. This sizable contraption is something you've never seen before. As you pause your leisurely jaunt, you start to look over this thing and quickly realize there isn't a single part on it you recognize. And so the homeowner comes out and you ask the obvious question, what is this? Turns out your neighbor is the inventor. He can tell you everything you want to know about this contraption. Most importantly, what it is and what it does, because he made it. He knows the ins and outs of it. It was, it was a, it was a seed in his head before it ever became a reality in his driveway. Now, if you put that anecdote on steroids, you'll get closer to God's invention of human beings. And so creation is what grounds all human accountability to God, our maker. If God commands us to do something or think some way, it's because he's your inventor. This is your purpose. Creation is what grounds all human accountability to God, our maker. So when we bump up against some idea, some system, some concept, 
or, or whatever. The first question we ought to be asking is, what does God think about this? Not, how does this sound to me? That's important. When we bump up against some idea, some system, some concept, whatever it is, the first question we ought to be asking is, what does God think about this? Not, how does this sound to me? Or do I like this idea? No. What does God think about this? Now, how would I know? How would I know what God thinks about this? Well, through prolonged exposure to God's word, prolonged exposure to God's word, biblical illiteracy will not produce biblical worldviews. Biblical illiteracy will not produce biblical worldviews. The less familiar people are with the scriptures, the less likely they'll see the world through God's eyes. So when I take creation, this creation aspect of a biblical worldview, the first application I see is accountability to God. Creation is what grounds all human accountability back to God. Second in creation, under creation, is matter matters to God. God pronounces the material creation to be good, very good. Steve Hoppe has a helpful way of thinking about our worldview in relationship to the physical creation. He uses the schema of God garbage gift. There are two errors we can make in our worldview regarding the material creation. We can treat the creation as God or we can treat it as garbage. So let's think about that. What happens when we treat the material creation as God? Materialism is an example of this. And with materialism comes all kinds of greed or the obsessive accumulation of things, hoarding, or simply being stingy, or even down to using the material creation to give you a sense of value and worth, to use, the mat- use material things to impress people. Certain strands of environmentalism and animal rights activism fall under the category of materialism, where rather than human beings ruling over and subduing the material world, the inverse is true. The material world rules over and subdues humanity. Now, what happens when we treat the material creation as garbage? The practice of asceticism is an example of this, where material things are renounced, vows of poverty taken, and often withdrawal from society in general takes place. The noblest motivations for such living are understandable, but, but this is a slap in the face to God who presented human beings with the material world he himself pronounced to be exceedingly good. First Timothy 4 says, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. The material creation can also be treated as garbage when we swing environmentalism or animal rights activism to their polar opposite and we end up abusing the created order raping the created order, oftentimes in pursuit of some other kind of materialism. I'll offer a brief reflection on a contemporary story that was in the news a few weeks ago. Southern Wisconsin got pummeled with a snowstorm back in January. And prior to this storm, Madison, Wisconsin had publicly stated that they would not be using as much salt as they had used in previous years under the guise of protecting the environment. Now, isolated from any real world scenarios, I don't think it's a bad idea. We ought to look for ways to tend to and take care of the material world God declared to be good and gave us. I mean, I grew up fishing. I understand how runoff affects the health of our waterways and our fisheries. However, police departments were being overwhelmed in Madison because they were rushing from one crash to another due to the unsafe road conditions. The worldview behind this approach is biblically deficient because it 
and it turns creation into a God and demands that human beings be subjugated to it to the point of being willing to be the sacrifices rather than using creation to preserve and protect human life. The material world is good. God said so. But the material world is creation. It's not creator. So we have a delightfully nuanced responsibility to both use the material creation for our enjoyment and our benefit and take care of it as benevolent rulers over the very thing God said is very good. So matter matters to God. Let me give you a third example of using creation part of our worldview. That's the dignity of human life. There is clearly something unique about human beings that sets them apart from the rest of creation. And you'll notice the dignity of human life isn't tethered primarily to our capacities, but to our simply being human. Our simply being human makes us uh, possessors of a unique uh, dignity. Of course, the primary locus of authority that we use to determine the uniqueness of human beings is not what we observe with our senses, but what God's word says. We're, we're made in the image and likeness of God. I'll give you an example of this. When Noah and his family got off the boat after the flood and entered this new creation, as it were, God gave some instructions like he did with Adam about how things are going to work. Included among them are these verses. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And so God institutes capital punishment, and he uses the fact of the image of God in man as the basis for it. It's an attention-getting, jaw-dropping, mind-exploding comment. To desecrate the image of God is a high crime. Human life possesses unrivaled dignity. It's precious. It's valuable. It's to be treated as the actual image of God. This obviously has massive implications for how we treat the unborn who are human. It has massive implications for how we treat the elderly and special needs, widows, widowers, orphans, minority groups, the person sitting next to you. There are very few things all human beings have in common, but this is one of them. There is equality among all human beings by virtue of this one truth. We bear the image of God. So let me review the creational aspect to our worldview means accountability. God is your purposeful creator to whom you look, you look often and ask, what do you think about this? God, what do you want me to think about this? What do you want me to do? God's first words to the human race were not words of introduction, but they were commands. Second aspect of creational aspect of our worldview is that matter matters to God. He thought of it. He thinks highly of it. He pronounces it as exceedingly good. And so we have as as caretakers of this world, as rulers, sub-rulers over this world, we have a delightfully nuanced responsibility to both use it for our enjoyment and benefit and take care of it as benevolent rulers over the very thing God said is very good. And the creational aspect to our worldview means human beings are the image of God, valuable, precious, endowed with a unique dignity that no other life form has and are to be treated, protected, and nurtured as such. So there's one aspect to our worldview. We're looking at the creational aspect of our worldview. Second is the fall 
Let me give you three applications of how to work the fall part of our worldview into the nitty gritty of life. First, all have sinned. (laughs) Every human being bears the image and likeness of God. This is one thing we have in common. But there's another thing we all have in common, and that is we are sinners against a holy God. And we are sinners by virtue of the fact that we are human beings. We are guilty because we're sinful. The image of God and the stain of sin are two things every human has in common. Whether you're white, black, male, female, rich, poor, you are a sinful image bearer of God. Our guilt is not predicated on any other line of demarcation other than being a fallen human being. This is where ideology like critical race theory falls short. So one of the things that you discover when you read, read it is that it assigns guilt, not based on humanness, but based on race. So race, as it were, replaces original sin. But using a biblical worldview, I can detect the flaws in this system of thinking. White people are not more guilty than black people. Why? We are sinners by virtue of the fact that we are human beings. Our guilt is predicated on just one thing. We are human. So a worldview that doesn't take that into consideration is bound to have other problems downstream. All have sinned. Second, all drift into idolatry. Romans 1 is a treatise on this. Suffice it to say, the default position of every human heart, whether white, black, male, female, rich, or poor, is to give to created things those thoughts, actions, and affections that ought to be reserved specifically for God, the Creator. Uh, There is now working within every human heart an idol factory. Uh, To go back to Steve Hoppe's schema of God garbage gift, the default position of every human heart is to take gifts and turn them into gods. To take good things and turn them into ultimate things. To take good things and turn them into gotta have it things. Your own heart drifts towards looking to someone or something and saying, if I have that, I'll be happy. But idols always disappoint. They end up leaving you worse off than you were before. The world is awash in idolatry. And Christian, your greatest struggle in this life is with idolatry, turning to someone or something other than God and saying, if I have that, I'll be happy. Now, here's something else to to keep in mind. Demonization is the flip side of idolization. We tend to demonize the opposite of what we idolize. So if you want to locate the idols in your life, yes, you can can put that question in front of you. You know, uh, if I have that, then I'll be happy, whatever that is. But you can also look at the things in your life that you tend to demonize. Look at the things in your life you demonize. The flip of it, the inverse of it, is probably something you idolize. And every human heart drifts in this direction. Calvin said it best. He said the human heart is an idol factory. By default, we manufacture these these idols. And third, the material world is corrupted. The material world is corrupted. Romans 8 says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The material world suffers under the curse of sin. 
This is why tsunamis and hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes kill people and wreak havoc on towns, villages, and cities. The, the fall has impacted every corner of creation, not just individual human beings. Um, you know, the, there's a big talk on climate change today, and you know, I, I'm not familiar with all the science on that. I have some questions about whether or not the metrics we're using today were used 500 years ago and 1,000 years ago and 1,500 years ago. But um, on the one hand, I really don't need to know that because I know that there is a part of our creation it, where it is deteriorating and it will continue to deteriorate just like every human being because creation itself, not just human beings have been subjected to, to sin. Now I, I want to pause and meld creation and fall together. So one of the things you can do with this worldview is not just think through the applications of the individual force for words but you can take them together and see how they dance with each other. Every interaction you have with our world contains aspects of both creation and fall simultaneously. So one of the things you should be able to see is that our world is a mixed bag. Start with nature. On the one hand, it's difficult to comprehend how God could possibly improve upon the Swiss Alps or Bora Bora or the Grand Canyon, but they are subject to the fall. They possess marks of both God's original created goodness, as well as marks of the fall, which makes you wonder and long for how marvelous they will be in the new heavens and the new earth. It's probably much easier to see marks of the fall within your own, within your own circle of existence. I can see it in my backyard. A couple of years ago, I was introduced to the sod webworm, which ended up devouring a chunk of my lawn. There are there were pockets in my lawn that were thick, lush, and green, and, and then there were pockets that were just devastated. Um, so the, the fallen world is real and cruel. Every corner of creation is a mixed bag. Same is true of human beings. Every human being is a mixed bag. <clears throat> there will be moments when Joe, so to speak, demonstrates attributes faithful to his original design as the image of God. However, there will be moments when Joe demonstrates characteristics of a fallen, sinful human being. Every human being is a mixed bag. And when another human being disappoints you due to their lack of Christ-like behavior, you ought not be surprised. They are fallen and sinful. When another human being blesses you, you ought to rejoice that the image of God is on display. Same can be said of every society. Every society possesses aspects of its original Create a design of goodness, celebrate it when you see it, encourage more of it. Simultaneously, every society contains corruption due to sin. Grieve over it, point people to righteousness. So the creation and fall dimensions of our biblical worldview make our world a mixed bag. So our stance toward every human and every human culture ought to be one of both critical enjoyment and appropriate wariness. Not wholesale enjoyment, because the fall is real. Not wholesale wariness, because God's creation, though marred, is still good. The creation and fall dimensions of our biblical worldview ought to lead us to engage every um, uh, human being and every kind of cultural artifice with both critical enjoyment and appropriate wariness. 
So that's the first part of our How to See the World uh, two parts on podcast. We're looking at the aspects of creation and fall. Next time, I'm going to work through redemption and restoration. How do those things help us understand the world we live in? Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>